0: On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was no more than a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. With little to no thought for themselves, they went out day and night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with the station and give their time and money and effort to support the work. New boats were brought in and new crews were trained. And the little life-saving station grew. Some of these new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those who were saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they began to use it sort of as a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in this club's decor, and there was a memorial lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them were foreigners. The beautiful new club was in chaos immediately. The property committee hired someone to rig up a shower outside the club, where victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. The outsiders made the life-saving station extremely dirty. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because they felt that they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club, but a small number of members insisted upon life-saving as their primary mission and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. After all, the dissenting group's members were voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. So they did. As the years went by, however, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old station. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that eastern seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters. But most of the passengers drowned.
1: This morning, we come to the communion table, and uh, as you know, if you've been with us before, we do things a little bit different, and even today, we're going to shift it up a little bit on you. But before I get to it, I want to tell you that I'm glad I got to be here this morning. Uh, Last week, was gone. got to take my family to West Virginia. I know most people say, well, that just doesn't sound that exciting, but there is stuff called trees there. And uh, we got to, to play around in the river and do a bunch of things. We got to drive uh, from where my dad lives, visiting family there. We got to drive up into Washington, D.C. We got to go to Baltimore. We got to go up to Pennsylvania and a thing called uh, Sight and Sound. Uh, maybe you've heard of that before, but it's a huge production. They just have to be showing Jonah. So after we had wrapped up Jonah, I got to follow up uh, to, to see the, their interpretation of what it was, which was, uh, which was very interesting and very cool. I'm not much into people sing-talking. Um, that's, that's not my thing, you know, I don't get into that, but it was, it was all right, and it had a great gospel message at the end of it. But while we were there, we drove around and, uh, got to do a whole lot of things. There was one thing that I did last week that I haven't done in over a year and a half. And that was, I skipped church. I know. I skipped church. You realize the last time I skipped church was March 13th, 2011, and the reason why I skipped church is because I had surgery on my tongue on the Friday, so I couldn't exactly get out of the hospital to come to church. That was the last time I skipped church, and I, I felt a little bit weird about it. Felt a little bit guilty about it, and I don't know why that is, if that's because of my upbringing or what it was, but at the same time, it was kind of nice. I mean, the reason why we skipped church is because we had brunch plans. And the funny thing is we went to brunch at this place called the, the South Mountain Inn, and it was actually um, the main uh, headquarters for, uh, for some of the generals of the south As they made their way towards Gettysburg uh, As they went through Harper's Ferry And then on through Antietam Not that you care because I was going to be a history teacher But I'm going to explain it to you anyway As they went that way and through Gettysburg This was the main place they stayed at As they went down kind of through the Appalachian Trail And, uh, and so it was right there And we ate there right across the way was a church And the church was built in the, uh, in the 1800s Late 1800s And it was just there as a historical building the doors were locked. I said, if you'd like to use this for weddings, call this number. But other than that, that's what it was there for. And as I was looking at that, things started processing in my mind. And I started thinking about it. Because as we drove that morning to this place, it was, it was a little bit outside of where my dad lives at. And uh, we probably drove about 15 minutes or so. We drove by a number of churches on the way. And as we drove by these churches, the the newest one I saw was probably 50 years old. And that would be the newest one by, by a long shot. And as you drive by, uh, and each of them. Granted, these were, this was at 10 o'clock in the morning and service was going on. Most of them started service 9.30, 9.45, so service was going on. First one passed by, two cars in the parking lot. Second one passed by, five cars in the parking lot. That progressed as we went. Very few cars in the parking lot, lots of empty spaces. And I got to think to myself, what is it about this Sunday morning that, that people aren't here? Is, is there something going on? Is there something major that took place? Or is it just the mentality of the church? And it, it really started to bother me a little bit. And As a matter of fact, even this week, I laid awake in bed thinking about this, thinking to myself, how in the world does it get to the point where, let's say one of those buildings is 50 years old, and I'm just guesstimating, but 50 years ago, when they built that building, did they say, I am really looking forward to 50 years from now, we'll have two cars in our parking lot? Is it, was that the goal, to have two families in our church, and maybe one of those cars was a pastor? So, and, you know, granted, maybe some people walked, but there wasn't a whole lot. There's, it's not quite like here. There's a lot of room in between the houses out there. And, and so, I don't know. And I, I got to thinking about it. What was it that, that really set it up to say, we want this, and most of those churches, the reason why they can't be torn down or rebuilt and stuff is they've, they've actually become um, historical landmarks where they're at was that the original goal was to say we're gonna build a beautiful building that someday will be a historical landmark is that what we want And I I thought about this video and I've showed that video a time or two before and maybe you remember it or maybe you don't but I thought about that because I was on the East Coast and we went to this place called Harper's Ferry and Harper's Ferry has a very significant role in the Civil War but while we were there On the top of the hill, the main thing you can see is this giant, amazing church. And I actually changed, if you are friends with me on Facebook, I actually changed my, uh, not the badge picture, but the big one that goes across the top. I don't know what it's called. But I changed it to the picture of the church because it just kind of stands out among itself. Beautiful, beautiful building. And it wasn't even around during the Civil War because the original one that, that's right behind it is just ruins of what the Civil War did to it and, and the fighting that took place and it was actually used as a hospital and different things. And as I saw that one and I saw this new one they built and this new one they built, once again, it's just there as a historical landmark. And I thought to myself, how does it get that way? As we come to the, the, the table with communion and, and what is communion about and, and how exactly is all this supposed to come together for us? Because do people go to church for the wrong reasons? Is that how it gets there? Because really, if you think about all the things that would keep a church going and not just have two cars in the parking lot, what, what would it be? What would be those things that would draw it in? And a lot of them, it might be the entertainment value. And a lot of them, it might be the connections that take place. But I think about these families that, the two cars that were in this parking lot. That that was the one that stood out to me the most. There's two cars in this parking lot. And I'm thinking, how? How does it get to where there's only two cars in a parking lot? And I thought about this, this member thing. And, and, and there's this club mentality and the people don't like the certain people coming into the club, so they push them away, and instead of reaching out to those lost and dirty, they, they keep themselves because they don't want their, their good stuff to be ruined. And then a club fight happens, and this, these guys go here, and it ends up there's only two cars left. I'm thinking, is that the case? No, I didn't sit down with the pastor and say, so why exactly did you only have two cars in here this morning? But th- that wasn't what I was doing, but as I drove by, I thought to myself, is that it? Is that what church has become for so many people that it's this place to meet at until I die? It's my regular Sunday morning thing that I do. And sometimes not even a regular Sunday morning thing. It's, it's when it's able for me to happen. And I got to thinking about really the idea that goes behind coming to church and being a part of a church. What is it for you? And what is it for me? What is the purpose of us being here, right here, right now? Why did you come here and didn't go to Balloon Fiesta this morning? Let me ask you that. Was there something in here that, that was burning inside you that said, no, this is what we have to do? Or maybe you went to Balloon Fiesta and you just scooted on over here. Or maybe people that aren't here right now and they're listening online are thinking, oh, well, maybe, yeah, they're, they're, I should have gone. Or, or something like I don't know what exactly it is. Maybe you said, I haven't got to share in communion for a while because you guys don't do it on a regular schedule. And I wanted to be here for this. What is it? What is it that makes us? And I think there's two things, and one really leads leads to the other. And it's this. It's transformation and it's passion. It's transformation and it's passion. As God transforms who we are and he pushes us along, we have this passion inside to see that same thing happen in other people's lives. Because when we're excited and we look back at our lives and say, yeah, this is where God had me at. And this is where I am now. And God brought me along this road. And I see people where I used to be at. And I would love to see God bring them along too. And that passion builds up and say, I want to reach out to people. And I want to be a part of what's going on. But I think in some churches, the gospel gets twisted. Because really what happens is, is I think we come together together. And we have some amazing Bible study classes that are going on. We have some amazing teachers that are teaching right now uh, uh, at 9 o'clock. And then they come in here and, and you know, I would love to say that I, I have some amazing abilities to, to do things. You know, the, actually, if the teachers that the teacher over there, taught over there came over here and did it, I would lose my job because they're way better than I am. But even with them and even with me being in here, that's not what it is because really what it is it is God speaking to us through the transforming power of the gospel and I think the gospel if we allow it to will change our lives if we look deep into it and see where we are wrong and how we need to be more like God and how we need to be this way it would change us but instead I think what has happened in a lot of churches is we've taken the gospel and we flipped it instead of making the gospel transform us we have transformed the gospel to fit us we have taken verses out of context we have taken things and made it the way we want it to be, so we can feel comfortable about ourselves in the way that we act. And there's these gray areas that we've created. That God says, "No, no, this is black and white." And say, "No, no, God, we've taken this and this way we believe it. So this is how we're going to do it." And He said, "You can do what you want, but I'm going to deal with you in the end." And that—that's kind of the way that the thinking is for us. We get this, and it, it's amazing as I look at Facebook and I look at things of how so many Christians, people I went to Bible college with, the things they post, and I say, honestly. Honestly, if you've really laid what you've just posted up against the gospel is what you were doing right and now you're bragging about it on the world wide web. And we do these things and we take this and and we twist the gospel to be what we want it to be and I think, I think that's where two cars end up in the parking lot eventually. Because we've lost that saving power of the gospel, that transformation power that will change us and want to see change in others. And we can't stand to see people hurting. And we can't stand to see people away from God. And we want to reach out to them instead of saying, no, 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 you're not like me, stay away from me. How do we not end up 50 years from now having a building with two cars in it? Well, one is we don't build a building. We're there right now, so we're all good. The other other part is, is we keep our fire and we keep our passion and we keep understanding who we were and who we are now. And not only who we were and who we are now, but whose we are now. Whose we are now. And we miss that so often in our lives and this transformation, it takes action It takes action because I could stand up here and you could get this real nice warm feeling inside and your heart could beat a little faster and your blood could get going. A little bit of sweat could trickle down because you're saying, yeah, God, you're speaking to me. That's great. Now you have to do something about it. And I'd love to say that I can stand up here and I can manipulate you and I could guilt you into it and I could do all these things and I could even make the choice for you and things would make your life better, but I can't. And your parents can't and your spouse can't and your friends can't. It's all about you in this one. I know normally I say it's not about you, but today it is. It's about you hearing from God and answering the call. And if you were with us in September, you know we talked about that with Jonah. You know we talked about that with Jonah. And I I think today is what we call Remembrance Sunday. And it's a time for us to remember what Christ did. And I think if we really get right down to it and remember what Christ has done for us, It should change our thinking about how we live our lives for us and how we should be living our lives for Him. And this morning, like I said, we're going to do something different because normally we do communion in a a way where I speak, Jerome plays, and I speak some more, and Jerome plays, and we have it all uncovered here. But today, communion is going to be a response to the message. The music is going to be in response to the message. And I'm going to uncover the elements here in a little bit And that table is going to be open until the end of the service. Whenever you feel like coming, come. Whenever you feel like being a part. But let me explain to you exactly what communion is all about and how it should change the way that we think and the way that we act towards who God is. There's a couple of passages I want you to read. And and Paul was dealing with this exact same thing because I think people had forgotten what communion was all about. They really had gotten to the point where they had forgotten about church. And if you open your Bibles up, you'll see the letters that he wrote to a church in the city of Corinth. And and the city of Corinth, excuse me for just a second. The city of Corinth, they were going through the motions. They were just doing the thing. And Paul got on them about it a little bit. Because even to the fact of when they were in the middle of communion, they were getting gorged on food and getting drunk and fighting and doing all kinds of things. And he said, you know what, you guys are missing the point of remembering what Christ did. And today, I want to make sure that we read what what Paul wrote to them and that, that we can actually apply it to us so we don't miss the point of why we remember. So do me a favor, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 first, we're going to be in verse 23 today. And we're going to read a little bit of that and then we're going to skip back to chapter 10 and read in verse 15. If you don't have your Bibles with you, not a problem. We'll have it up here on the screen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. Says, For I pass on to you what I've received from the Lord Himself. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup you were announcing the lord's death until he comes important verse here so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the lord that is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup flipping back to chapter 10 now in verse 15 It says this, you are reasonable people. Decide for yourself if what I am saying is true. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Let's pray together. God, as we come to the table this morning, I pray that you speak to us. I pray that you are working in our hearts and working in our minds and working in our lives. Because Lord, our desire is to either be more like you or to be more like the world there is no in between god i pray that you're working in our hearts to be more like you i pray that you're guiding us and directing us and and changing us to be more like you and for those in here struggling which would probably be every single one of us with the ways of the world of wanting more of wanting things that are out there god take us from that place and point us in the right direction. We pray it in your name. Amen. You know, it's amazing how self-centered and self-absorbed our world is that we live in. And the worst thing is, is I'd like to say that I am not caught into that trap. But I'd be lying to you. Because when I see things, I want them. Just like when you see things, you want them. And there's that desire that, oh, we have to work for this instead of following to work to be more like God. There's more things of the world that we want to reach out to and hold on to. And we think we can, well, if I just do it here and I do it here, and there's a, there's a mix, and it, it's either one or the other. It really is. When you really break it down, you're either chasing after the things of the world or you're chasing after God. And who are you chasing after? Well, today as we come to the table, I think it's going to help us to remember how we need to look, where we need to look. And the first thing is looking back. In 1126, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, it says, We do this to announce the Lord's death. When we think of the the sacrifice that Christ made for us, and in Romans it tells us, while we were still sinners, which means while we were away from God, while we hated God, while we had nothing to do with God, he sent his son into this world to die for us. Should that change our perspective on the way that we approach this table, why the way we approach church, why the way we approach our lives and how we should be living for him? Absolutely it should. Does it? That's between you and God. Because it really should change our whole thinking. Because while we were still sinners, God loved us enough to sacrifice his one and only son. Just let that sink in for a second. The second thing we need to do is it found in verse 28 of chapter 11. He says to look in, that we should examine ourselves before coming to the table. Here's the question. What should we look at? What should we examine? When you look at your life, what do you see? Not what do you want everybody else to see. Not what front do you want to put on. Not what special dress you want to wear on Sunday mornings and whatever you want to do on on Monday morning. However that that shift changes. What do you see in your overall life? When you examine your own life and your own heart, would you say that you are following God or would you say that you are following the world? Once again, it's really a one or the other kind of thing. Which one are you chasing after? Which one are you striving after? Where do you want to be recognized, here or here? It's a question that I think we all have to struggle with. And today, as you're looking back and as you're looking in, I think it's one of those things that we need to ask for forgiveness where we fail. I mean, what was commandment number one? Don't put any other gods before me. That was from the very beginning When he first set up a covenant with his people, don't put any other gods before me. What gods are we putting before our God? What God of money? What God of sports? What God of whatever it might be are we putting before God? So we look back. We look in. The next thing we do is we look around. I found it very interesting in 1 Corinthians 10 17 when he talks about being one body and that we eat one loaf. What was he doing there? What was he trying to challenge the people with? And I think what it is, is he wanted to say, listen, it's about our decision, but who keeps us where we need to be? Who keeps us in line with the decisions we need to make? Who holds us accountable and doesn't lie to us and makes us feel better about ourselves, but really challenges us and says, no, 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 your life should be that of following God, not that of following this. Where are we at? Well, that's what our Sunday morning Bible studies are all about. That's what our connection groups were all about. That is what church is all about. That is what having friends in fellowship, and that is what's having people who, you know, as iron sharpens iron, it says, who's there for you and helping keep you where you're at and encourage you to follow the lines that we're supposed to. So to look around, and finally we need to look ahead. Chapter 11, verse 26 says, we need to do this until Jesus' return. I remember when I was in high school, one of my friends was asked actually to speak. One of the high schoolers was asked to give the message. And he, he gave a message. And this, it's crazy because I couldn't probably tell you very many messages that my youth pastor gave. But I can remember the one my friend gave. And he said, Jesus is coming soon. Look busy. That was his title. And I always liked that. But it made me ask this question to myself. And I hope that you asked this question of yourself as well. If Jesus, if you knew that Jesus was coming back tonight. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, read the book of Revelation. Jesus is coming back to, to take his people back. And if you want to talk about that afterwards, we can definitely do that. But let's just say that Jesus was coming back tonight and you knew that, which is the Bible says no man knows the hour of the day. But let's say you just got some prophetic wisdom and knew he was coming back tonight. Would your life change? The rest of your life, the rest of today, would your plans for today change if you knew that Jesus was coming back tonight? I would hope you would say No. Because the way you're living is exactly the way that Jesus would want to see it when he got back. But my feeling and gut feeling is is that for most of us in here, it's probably yes. I'll get my life the way it's supposed to be. Well, here in just a moment. I'm going to uncover the elements. I'm going to ask Micah to come up and play. And the song I believe she's going to play is Jesus Paid It All, All To Him I Owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it as white as snow. And in a little bit, we're going to actually sing that song as well. But I want to do something different. Before we uncover the elements, before we do that, I want to focus on that looking in and examining ourselves. Taking a look at who we really are and what we have really become. And it what God would want from us. Is it what he has called us to do? Or are we suffering kind of from that idea of American Christianity where the gospel has been transformed to us rather than us transformed to the gospel? And I want to challenge you this morning to just sit and think and examine your heart. And this will be it for me. I'm done. And the rest of it is all in response. How will you respond to what God is saying to you this morning? It's not about what I've said to you, but what is God saying to you this morning? How is he speaking to you? How is he in your heart? How is he in your mind right now challenging you? And you know that that first thought that popped up and and you immediately defended? You may want to rethink about that, that defense that automatically pops up because that's what we do. When somebody points their finger at us, we immediately jump to defense mode. Put your barriers down and examine yourself as we come to the table and remember what Christ did for us and how we should just live for him.